Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Everyone wants to bear fruit. So, so why is it that sometimes they can't and sometimes we can't? That's, that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, last week we talked about differentiating fruit bearers from fruit loops, right? How many of you were here last week? Edmund Campus, how many of you were here last week? You, you've seen any fruit loops this week? Did you look in the mirror and see a Fruit Loop? Maybe that's possible. Hey, I want to greet you. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to greet those of you watching online. We're so honored that you're with us, joining us online. Edmund Campus, I love you. It's such a joy to be with you today. Hey, I want to let you know, uh, give a quick shout out to a group in the DFW metro area uh, who meet every single week with their small group. They have a small group in the DFW metro area. And they watch Victory Church, and then they discuss the sermon. So they, 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 they are a part of our church, part of our community. So I want to give a shout out to, to, to Ken and Janie Harp. We love you. You're a part of this family. And so what a privilege and honor. Isn't that cool? The people around the world are, are, are joining us online. So wherever you're watching from, uh, we welcome you today. Fruit Loops. I want to kind of continue this conversation. Last week, I preached this message and just had a ton of feedback uh, of interest in this, of how do we differentiate people in our lives that are fruit bearers versus fruit loops. And I want to use a passage of scripture. We're going to look at the words of Jesus today because I'm here to tell you that Jesus himself gives us words. He, in fact, he gives us three things to look for, for people that aren't bearing fruit. And not only does he give us these words, but they're actually uh, warnings or they're actually words that let us know what causes us to not bear fruit. So there's three things. We're going to look at the, the words of Jesus. And the title of my message today is What Causes Fruitlessness in Us? One of, one of my favorite shows, uh, we watch it uh, as a family sometimes, is How It's Made. Have you guys ever seen this show, How It's Made? And they, they show you how food is made or how a product is made and it takes you to the factory and figure out how those things are made. Today, we're going to look at how Fruit Loops are made. Uh, and Fruit Loops, the cereal, how many of you like Fruit Loops, the cereal? It's okay. It's a good cereal. It's a good one. Did you know there's no fruit in Fruit Loops? So I want to look at the words of Jesus today and see what it is in others, but also turning the mirror around to look at myself what out there is trying to keep me from producing fruit in my life? All right, y'all ready for this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We pray that it would be deposited in us today, Lord, and speak to us. And yes, we even say convict us, Lord. We welcome it. Speak to us. Help us grow. Help us to produce fruit, whatever that takes. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I'm going to use a parable that, that you may have heard before. I've actually preached messages on this. Jesus gives this parable of the sower. It's in a few of the different gospels. 
And if you remember, it is, he's telling this story to uh, the people. And then after he gets done telling the story, he turns to his disciples and explains the parable to them in detail. So he gives four seeds. He gives an example of four seeds that are put in the soil and what happens to those seeds. Now, the seed in this parable is the word of God. It is the Bible. It is the words of the Lord. I want to start with the last seed. So the last seed, the fourth seed, is referred to as the good seed, okay? It's the good seed that was put in good soil. The word of God is always good. It never returns void. But where it's planted matters. And so the fourth seed is put in good soil. And the Bible says that it goes to produce fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. That's a pretty good return on investment. So then let's go back up to the top. So the first seed, the first seed is the seed that falls on the path. Remember this? Falls on the path. And the Bible says that the birds came and snatched the seed and took the seed away so that it couldn't bear fruit. It couldn't be planted and it couldn't bear fruit. This kind of symbolizes the enemy. The enemy comes to steal kill and and destroy. So when a a word of God is planted on you, the devil will come and give you doubt or fear or anxiety or whatever tool or instrument he uses to snatch that seed so that it doesn't bear fruit in your life. Uh, Then a second seed is talked about. It's a seed that falls on the rocks or on the, among the rocks. And this is the seed that does take root and it springs up quickly, but there's no deep root system, and so it withers and it fades. And so the first seed, it talks about it, it's the devil. It's going to give him this symbolism that it's the devil's fault. Have you ever heard somebody say, that's the devil's fault? Well, the enemy does come to steal and to kill. The second seed, the scripture describes it as, as being caused by affliction and persecution. So it says, because of uh, affliction and persecution, the seed doesn't bear fruit. What I want to talk about today is the third seed. Because the third seed is the only seed that's listed among all the seeds that were planted or, th- or, 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 or scattered that turns the finger to me as to whether or not this seed is going to take root and produce fruit. And so these are the words of Jesus. We're going to look at the third seed. The third seed was the one sown among the thorns. All right. Now, remember last week we talked about the seed, the, the, the tares that were sown with the wheat. And when they, they, they were both sprouted and ripened in the same environment, we talked about the culture in which we live and how the seed that we live as believers is growing in the same environment as the seed that's growing in the culture. Both, both come up. And when they first sprout, they look identical until they bear fruit. Okay? So the third seed we're going to talk about is the one that comes up through the thorn. So if you have your Bible, go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to find this story. We're also going to look at it in the book of Luke. If you, want to, if you want to put a hand there and flip there, Luke chapter 8. But let's look at this one first. This is what the word of the Lord says in Mark chapter 4, verse 18, talking about the third seed. It said, and others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it becomes, look at that word, unfruitful. It becomes incapable of bearing fruit. And Jesus mentions three things, and we're going to look at those today. But I want you to understand, first and foremost, that it's not a seed problem. <laughs> if we're not bearing fruit, it's not because the word of God isn't right or good. It's not a seed problem. In this particular instance, it's not even a soil problem. It was planted in good soil. 
So you can actually be good soil. You can be a believer that's good soil, but there's just so many weeds and thorns growing up around you in the culture and in your life that it can actually choke, choke out our ability to bear fruit. Let's look at Luke's account. I like Luke's account. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, it reads just a little bit differently, but we'll see that it's obviously very, very uh, similar. Luke 8, 14. It says, now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked. And then he lists three things. By cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And the ending result being, and they bring no fruit to maturity. No fruit to maturity. So these are Jesus' words, y'all. Jesus' words. He says there's three things. He lists three things that if we don't bear fruit as believers, it's probably one of these three things that's causing us to not bear fruit. He says, one, it's the cares of this world. Worrying, right? Uh, Or riches, money, and what it does in us. We'll unpack that in just a minute. And then the third one, he says, the pleasures of this life. And this took me into a, a deep dive of looking in my own heart and looking at those in, that I've allowed to be a part of my life and turning the mirror around and looking at myself and saying, are there weeds, are there thorns amongst me? Why? Because I want to bear fruit. Amen. As believers, it's our calling. We're called to bear fruit. We're called to bear fruit for those around us and for the kingdom of God and for ourselves and for our family. So it's even causing me to look at it as a parent. As a parent, what thorns am I allowing to grow up around my kids? Why? Because I want my kids to bear fruit. And if there's things that's gonna choke these things out of their life, then I'm responsible, right? As a husband, as a pastor, as an employee, as a boss, as a president, whatever role, throw in whatever role in your life, What is it that I'm called to bear fruit in and what is it around me that's keeping me from bearing fruit? I love this word, uh, maturity. It says that the result, the end result of this is that what I have for your life, God says, doesn't come to maturity. Uh, This word maturity is is really important. Let's look at this in the Greek. So the Greek word for maturity is the Greek word telesphareo and it means to complete, to bring to perfection. Which by the way, I'm so glad we have a smart church. Look at your neighbor and say, you're so smart. Like some sermons are preachy and we raise our voices and we yell and some, some sermons are white hanky and we get excited. Some aren't sermons at all, they're teachings and today's gonna be a teaching. And I'm glad that you're so smart because I'm gonna throw so much scripture at you and I'm gonna throw a bunch of Greek at you, all right? So just get ready. You need to get a pen out, you need to get your phone out, take some notes because I think the Lord's gonna speak to us today and I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're smart enough to take it. So get in the, will you get in the submarine with me and let's go for a deep dive, all right? This isn't a periscope depth sermon. We're gonna go deep dive today, all right? So this word for maturity uh, means to complete, to bring to perfection, Do you know that God is wanting to perfect you? He's doing a work in us all the time. Uh, We like to say at Victory Church, we're called to live life to the full. To To this maturity. We're all coming into a maturity in our faith. And this says that we, when we let one of these three things choke us out, we're not coming to the full maturity. Now, in the New Testament, if you go and study this Greek word that I just shared with you about maturity... It is very, very emphasized in the idea of pregnancy. 
If you're pregnant, you really want to carry that baby to full term. You don't want this baby to come out prematurely because it'll have complications and problems, right? You want it to come to full maturity. This is the picture that Jesus is trying to get in our head. I have a plan for you and I have a purpose that I've impregnated you with, so to speak, and I want you to give birth to it. And forgive me for the harshness and the bluntness of what I'm about to say, but when we allow the weeds of this life and the thorns of this life to choke it out, we abort the fruit that God is truly trying to bring into our life. We all want to bear fruit. So what? why is it that sometimes we can't? Well, Jesus is giving us this right here, and I want to unpack this today. I want to go into this, and I want to look at these three things and unpack them one at a time, all right? So let's just go to the first one. It says, the good seed, the word of God, will be crowded out or choked out by, number one, the cares of this world. The cares of this world. And first, let's talk about worry, okay? The reason you're worrying about it is because you care about it. Amen. You know, if you didn't care about it, you would have no reason to worry about it. But where does caring turn into something negative that begins to impact us in a negative way. So Jesus explicitly pulls this out. So I believe that Jesus listed this one first because it's the most common. It's the most common. I know it's probably one of the more difficult ones for me. Uh, let me show you a couple of stats that, that will convince you of this. According to the National Alliance on Mental Health, over 40 million adults in America this year, 19%, will have uh, an anxiety disorder this year. Uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lifetime, in someone's lifetime, National Institute for Health said that 31.1% of Americans, uh, adults will experience an anxiety disorder sometime in their life. A third, a third of Americans are not gonna worry just a little bit. They're gonna have a full-on anxiety disorder, okay? So if I asked you how many of you worry about stuff, every one of us is gonna raise our hands. Because there's seasons of our life where we struggle with stuff. Uh, another Gallup poll was given at the height of the pandemic, and they found that 60% of Americans admitted to being plagued. And the, the, the survey said this word, plagued by worry and stress. 60%. So this is something that Jesus knew very well, and that's why over and over and over again in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, he's constantly dealing with worry. He's constantly dealing with our fear. He's constantly dealing with our doubt because he knew as humans, we would be susceptible to this. But in this parable, he's saying that thing will choke out fruit from coming to maturity in our life. So let me show you two Greek words. We're gonna go into the Greek. I warned you ahead of time. So there's two, there's a couple of different Greek words for worry. And this is kind of interesting. I wanna show you this real quick. Um, so the Greek word for worry in this text, in this parable that we're reading, is the Greek word meriimna, and it means anxiety. Uh, it means through the idea of distraction, okay? So, so that's one word that we can look at for worry. It's the same exact, catch this, it's the same exact Greek word found in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it's a verse we all know that says, casting all of your care on him. Same Greek word. Okay, uh, another, another Greek word that's introduced to us in scripture is in Philippians chapter four, verse six. Philippians four, six says, do not be anxious or worried. Different Greek word, 
okay? Let me show you this Greek word. It's, it's, it's the Greek word marinao, and it means to be troubled with cares. And you're thinking, well, those sounds so similar. They, the definition sounds the same. They are similar. In fact, they share the same root word, okay? Are you guys still with me? They share the same root word. Let me show you the root word. Nicole, I went backwards on you. You got to go back a couple slides. The root word of both these words is the Greek word marizo, and it means to separate into parts, to cut into pieces, to divide into parties, and to split into factions. Now, you know what the devil wants to do? He wants division. So the devil wants to take your mind, your will, and your emotions, and instead of them being unified, he wants to split them apart. He wants to split you up and make you torn, make you divided, make you split. Now, these two Greek words that share the same root word, the interesting thing about them is that the one shared in this parable that Jesus is talking and the one shared in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, cast all of your worry, okay? Both of those are nouns. You're like, oh my gosh, we're going into English. I don't know how, I don't know if I can stay awake for this. No, please stick with me for just a second, all right? Don't zone out on me. It's a noun. In Philippians chapter four, when he says, hey, don't worry about anything, that one is a verb. It's a verb. Now, I have to ask this. Do we all know what a verb is? Is that good? It's an action word or state of being. So Paul is saying in Philippians, he's saying, hey, don't practice the verb of worry. It's a state of being. Stop it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it gives this, this word worry in a noun, and it's a command. It says, I want you to cast worry. So the Lord showed me this this week. And this is more of an internal, what do I do with this worry? This is just, a, just a, an idea, okay? You know, in math, sometimes you gotta convert something before you can do something with it. You gotta convert an equation before you can find the resolution, before you can find the answer. You gotta do some conversion. You gotta convert that fraction, all right? I've gotten in the habit, even this week, of trying to convert my worry from a verb to a noun, what do you mean by that? I mean, what I've been starting to do, when I start to feel the emotion that's not real, it's just an emotion, it's me being split and divided and separated, I've started taking this abstract thing and giving it a name. I give it a name. What is it exactly that I'm so worried about? Write it down. Get your journal out and formulate all your worry and say, this is what concerns me. Make it into a noun. And then what can you do with it? Then I can cast it. I can then cast it to Jesus. Let me show you what the Greek word for cast is, all right? The Greek word for cast is the Greek word uh, epiripto, and it means to throw upon or to place upon, okay? I just came to tell you one of the things that's gonna try over and over, and some, for most of us, this is a big one. It's gonna come to try to rob you of coming to the full maturity of bearing fruit, of producing fruit. You gotta do something with it, all right? We're not gonna be paralyzed by this. Let's go to the second one. The second one, let's go back to the text we find. Mark chapter four, verse 18, it says, and others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, watch this, 
and the deceitfulness of riches. Point number two, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, this will choke out fruit from you in your life is riches. All right? Now, everybody take a deep breath. Riches aren't bad. I thought I'd get an amen there. The word that comes before it is the problem. He says, it's the cares of this world and the deceitfulness. Money is not evil. It's what it does to our hearts. Okay? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Paul talks explicitly about this. So I want to show you uh, the, the, the Greek word for riches is the Greek word plutos, and it means an abundance of external possessions. Okay? It's very simple. Very simple. Now let's look at the word for deceitfulness. This is the Greek word apatao, and it is translated to cheat, to delude, and to trick. So this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take wealth, he wants to take money, and he wants to trick you with it, and he wants to deceive you with it. This is what the devil does. He takes truths and he twists them into a lie. This is what he did to Eve. He deceived Eve. He deceived her. Oh, did God really say that? He's the, he's the deceiver of the brethren. Now watch what, Timothy, uh, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but those who want to get rich, he didn't say those who are rich. He says the ones who are trying with everything they get, they, they are trying and trying, they want to get rich, fall into temptation, and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Watch verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now, pause there for just a second. You may have heard that quote before that, that money is the root of all evil. No, that's a, that's a misquotation of scripture. It doesn't say that. It says that the love of money, go back to bearing fruit, is the root that creates evil fruit. It's the love of money that is, becomes a root that feeds into my tree that causes me to produce fruit that's not good in my life. But it's not money. Money is not evil. Can I get an amen? amen. I like money. Anybody else like money? So, so let's keep going here. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Watch this. Oh, this is so good. And some, not all, but some, by longing for it. Please catch that. It's not the money. It's our longing for it. Have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Nobody did it to them. It was that I was longing for it so bad that I actually pierced myself and did self-harm because I wasn't going about it in the right way. And, and, and I already know this, this part of the message. Like some of you are thinking, well, sweet, let's go to number three because I'm not rich, so I don't have to worry about this one. <laughs> I ain't got no money, so I ain't worried about this one. Listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. You don't have to have money to be deceived by money. You can be broke and busted, but you are longing for it. It's a heart issue. I'm so thankful that money is not evil. Do you know that God uses money for the kingdom? Money is a great asset for the kingdom. 
It can be used to do amazing things for the kingdom, but it's the heart issue. So let me show you this Greek word for longing for it. I warned you, we're going to the Greek a lot. The Greek word for longing for it is the Greek word arego, and it means to stretch out in order to touch and to grasp something. To, watch this last one. To give oneself up for it. You're saying, I will sacrifice myself just to get it. I want it so bad that I'll become a worse parent. It'll impact the way that I'm a father because I'm longing for wealth so much so that it impacts the way that I'm a father. It impacts the way that I'm a husband. It impacts the way that I'm a pastor because I'm longing for it so badly that the longing for it is driving me towards a place that what scripture says will actually become a self-inflicting grief wound. The Bible is smart, y'all. So this word um, grief, let's look at the word grief. Uh, This word grief in the Greek is the Greek word dio, and it, it literally is translated to like the setting of the sun. They would use this word to describe the setting of the sun, a grieving that the light is departing from me. So I can long for money so badly that it actually causes the sun to set in my soul and darkness begins to come upon me. It's such a beautiful picture of what happens. But listen, I want to reiterate, this does not mean that we can't get rich. Say amen, that's good. I wanna prove it to you, okay? Let me prove it. Proverbs 21.20 says, the wise have wealth and luxury but fools spend whatever they get. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Like enough that your kids couldn't spend it all. They had to give some to their kids too. Like that's, that's pretty clear. Proverbs 39 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, not with your poverty. You can't honor the Lord with poverty. You honor the Lord with your wealth by giving him your first fruits. God, listen, hear my heart. God doesn't necessarily want you to be rich. He just wants you to bear fruit, okay? And part of bearing fruit done in a healthy way many times involves riches. That's why in, in, in the parable of the talents, remember the guy who had one talent? He didn't, he didn't do anything to invest it and multiply it. He just buried it in the ground. What happened? He said, you evil and wicked servant, Take what I gave you and give it to the wealthiest guy. Why? Because God honored the the ability of the one to bear fruit, to reproduce. This is what fruit does, y'all. Fruit reproduces. It multiplies. So God honors this in our life. One more thing Paul had to say, 1 Timothy 6, 17. uh, He says, as for the rich, he's like, let me talk to all the rich people. Listen listen up, rich people. (laughs) He says, Charge them not to be haughty. Now watch these words, these words. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You know what he didn't say? You tell the rich to give away everything and stop being rich. No, he just says, hey, just tell the rich, don't be prideful, don't be arrogant, and please don't put all of your hope and trust in money. God's the one who gave you the ability to do that. 
He's saying, don't put your hope in that. Why? Why is Paul saying that? He says, because what you're doing when you do that is called idolatry. Amen. You know what idols are, right? Idolatry means I'm putting, I'm putting any hope in anything other than Jesus. So when we put our money, when we put our hope in riches and wealth, less than we do the provider of it, this is called idolatry. All right? He goes on to say, he says, but on God who richly provides us with every, everything to enjoy... They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Did you know that you can't be generous if you don't have riches? Most believers that I have found desperately want to be generous. They just don't have the fruit that's being produced so that they can be generous. So he's saying, be generous, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay? I believe, and it's safe to say, that an unhealthy pursuit, an unhealthy pursuit of riches, a longing for riches, will cause you to not bear fruit. Okay? All right, let's go to the third one. Uh, third one, let's look at Luke chapter eight, verse 14. It says, now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out. And number one, they're choked by cares. Number two, by riches. And number three, let's talk about this one. Number three, if you're taking notes, the pleasures of this life. This one's bizarre. Um, this is the one, and I wanna try to unpack this. I don't believe necessarily. I do think that it could be rolled in as a piece of this, but I don't think the pleasures of this life is talking about, um, I'm going to try to be PG in here, uh, like sexual sin. I do think that that could be an arm of it or a branch of it, but I think that mainly it's talking about something else that I want to try to unpack. Have you ever talked to somebody that you're trying to convince to become a Christian and they don't want to because they think Christians are boring? I'm like, I don't want to be a Christian. <laughs> I can't watch movies. I can't listen to music. I can't, I can't do anything fun. Like, I don't get to do anything fun. It's like, it's just, you're signing up for misery the rest of your life. I just get to be miserable. Thank you, Jesus, that I get to be miserable. This is so much fun. Thank you. I want to try to unpack something for you that I think is, is the true message coming through this. And I believe, again, Paul brings clarity to this. These three things, think about this. So Jesus gets up and says, hey, guys, three things. It's going to cause you not bear fruit. Worry, riches, pleasures. You read all of Paul's, Paul's, gospel, uh, Paul's epistles, and he's like, got it, Jesus. Okay, let me write about that. And a lot of his teachings are about these three things. So let me, let me show you. He, he unpacks this whole thing about pleasure. Second uh, Timothy 3, verse, verse, verse 1 through 5. He starts by talking about, uh, well, let's just read it. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Interesting. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. There's the money one. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, right? Like he's just going off. He's like, let me just get my checklist out. Rash, conceited. And then he says this, watch. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now watch how bold he gets. He says, they're having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So what he's describing are not unbelievers. He's describing believers that are behaving like this because he said they have a form of godliness, 
but they deny his power. And then watch, he's, he's just crazy. Paul's like, have nothing to do with these people. Man. So I want to, to point out this idea of lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, if you go and study this in the Greek, the Greek describes it more like this. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's not that God doesn't want you to have fun. It's not that God doesn't want you to experience pleasures on this earth and to have a great life and to have great times with friends and all the things. He says, I don't want you to replace me with pleasures. Again, it goes back to idolatry. Anything you need other than Jesus is idolatry. I don't want you to be consumed with pleasures of this life because if you allow the pleasures of this life to overshadow the love you have for God, it's going to choke out your ability to produce fruit. It just chokes you out. It chokes you out. So this lovers of pleasure, I told you we were going to go Greek. Okay, lovers of pleasure has two compounds. So that the word, the Greek word for this is a compound of two separate Greek words. And I want to show you these two separate Greek words. The first one is philos, not phyllis. Your name's Phyllis, okay. Phyllis, that was a bad joke. It went over badly. Stick to your notes, John. Okay, <laughs> Phyllis, and this is what it's translated. Friend, companion, and it even kind of gives this picture of the best man at the wedding. That's a big deal. That's your best man. Like, you're pretty close, right? So when it says lovers of pleasure, it's like the love that you would have for your best man or your bridesmaid. Like, you're pretty tight, okay? And then the other Greek word that it brings in is the Greek word hedona, which is where we get the word hedonism, which I'll talk about in a minute. And it means this, the desire of pleasure, watch this word, comfort and ease. Ooh. This is where I think God's really getting to us at. It's our comfort. It's our desire to take the easy way more than God's way. So uh, this word hedonism, so this is where we get our word hedonism. Hedonism, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's an ethical theory. Uh, some use it as an actual, live it out in a, in a religious way. But it's the sense, it's, it's, they believe that pleasure in the sense of satisfaction of desires uh, is the highest good and proper aim for human life. Hedonism is literally, if it makes you happy, then do it. Because you should just be happy. God wants you to be happy, doesn't he? This is hedonism. It's the pleasures of this life that we should never be uncomfortable, that we should never have to go through hardship, that God just wants us to be at ease, right? Many times, myself included, I would rather be comfortable than convicted. But we learn in this church that conviction is actually a gift. Why? Because a gift from God is because we trust him as the vineyard keeper to produce fruit in me. And sometimes the Bible says he has to prune me. And sometimes I got to go through uncomfortable things. So I shared with you last week that, I, that we went to Napa with some friends and I just like, I could write a million sermons. Like it's the sermon factory. So many beautiful symbolisms in scripture about winemaking. And for some reason, we can't talk about it in church because we're talking about wine and alcohol. I don't care. It's in the Bible. We're going to talk about it. 
so I, 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 this is one of the things we talked about there because we went to this, this, this uh, vineyard that makes champagne. And champagne is, is a form of wine. And the way they made it was just mind-boggling to me. And it took me back to a scripture that I preached several years ago. I want to show this to you, this one quick truth. Jeremiah 48, 11. It says, Moab has been at rest from youth, watch this, like wine left on its dregs, not poured from one jar to another. And she has not gone into exile. So it's saying that, that Moab, it's kind of this, this prophetic word over, over Moab, and it's saying, Moab, you've gotten too comfortable. You've been allowed to settle on your dregs. You're like, what in the world is that? Dregs are a, por- a product of making wine. It's the yeast, it's some of the sediments in the bottle that will, that will over the course of time, as the wine ages, it settles down to the bottom. Now, in, particularly in Champagne, this particular factory we went to, um, they make champagne and they've made this way for centuries when, when, when wine was, was beginning, uh, when champagne was beginning to be made. They, they, they ferment the wine, it becomes fermented, and then they take it and they bottle it. But inside the bottle are some of the sediments, some of the yeast and some of the sediments. And so they, they put these things in, in, in something, uh, in, in, I'm trying to remember the name of it, and I've got it in my notes, but it's, it's not that important. Yeah, I got it right here. It's called a pupitre. It's French. That's why it sounds so funny. They put it in these wood planks with holes cut in them, and they insert each bottle in them. Now, they do them more animated today with, with machines. But back then, they would put each bottle in its own thing, and depending on the pin, this particular one I was at, for years, they turn every bottle... Every four hours, a quarter turn. Could you imagine being that guy? That's your job? Eight hours a day, quarter turn. Why? Because if the sediments, if the wine rests on the sediments too long, it spoils the wine. It becomes bitter. And so what happens is this individual who's called a riddler what a great title. They call him the Riddler of the Leads because dregs are sometimes called leads. So the Riddler has to go every day and turn every bottle a quarter turn. And what happens is they refuse to let the wine become comfortable because if the wine becomes comfortable, it'll settle on its dregs and it will become bitter to the taste and ruined the whole batch. Have you ever felt like God comes up to you right as you get comfortable? Oh, you're, having a, you're, you're in a good season raising your kids, okay. Oh, your marriage is doing so well. Oh, let's see about that. Oh, you just figured out your current role at work. Okay. Just a quarter turn. He doesn't turn you upside down, right? The winemaker loves his wine too much to just take it out and shake it up and say, well, that one's out. Just a, just a quarter turn. Just enough to make you wake up to the fact that you are not producing this wine by yourself. Here, here's, here's the deal, okay? 
We're called to bear fruit. If this is not one of your main drives as a believer, we're missing it. We're called to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Okay? But it doesn't end when we're picked off the vine. God is actually taking the wine. You know what he does? He smashes you. Have you ever walked through seasons of life where you feel like God is, is pressing you? So this friend of mine, he's, he may be watching right now. His name is Brandon. He's a small EA. He's a genius. And one day I was telling him, yeah, the finest wines are, I've said this before. I've said, when God crushes grapes. And Brandon said, no, John. You don't crush grapes when you're making wine. He said, if you crush the grape, you crush the seed. And the wine will be bitter. That's why Paul said, I am pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm not crushed. Right? So what God does is he puts us in pressure situations but he's never going to crush you because he's trying to produce a fine wine in you that people are going to partake of the fruit that you've, that you have, you bared and the sweetness and wine comes better with age and you're in a season. It doesn't mean you're not going to do something. It means you're in a season of turning. So if you're uncomfortable, just look to the vineyard owner and say, thank you, God, that you're not allowing me to be comfortable because you're producing something in me that's going to produce a fine wine. God is with you. He is for you. Jesus, one last thing. What time is it? I'm good. Okay. So Jesus has this moment where he's about to do something very uncomfortable. He's about to do something that's way more uncomfortable than anything you've ever endured. Okay. He's about to be nailed to a cross. That's fairly uncomfortable. So he's sharing, he's sharing with his disciples What's to come? He's kind of giving them this snapshot, not the whole story, but just a little quick teaser. Here's, this is what's about to go down. And Peter, the dumb fool, almost said dumb something else, but I didn't. I stopped. Because I'm bearing fruit today. All right. Watch. Watch what Peter says. Peter says in Matthew 6, Peter took him to the side and rebuked him. He's rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Let's just be comfortable. Isn't this fun, Jesus? We can just keep, ooh, this is fun. You're healing people. This is fun. And Jesus starts to show some sort of discomfort because Jesus' Jesus's dad was reaching down to Jesus and about to give him a quarter turn too. And, and watch Jesus' reply. This is Jesus' response, Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Ooh. You are a stumbling block to me. You do, watch, this is why. Jesus isn't just being mean. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God. He's saying, you have in mind the concerns of a common kingdom. Jesus knew that he was a part of an uncommon kingdom and he was about to do something very uncommon. Okay? The very next verse is one that we will all know, but I want you to think about this verse in the context of what I just read. The very next verse, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He said, if you want a comfortable life, you can be somebody else's disciple, you just can't be mine. Because anybody that's walking with the Lord better get used to quarter turns. 
just when you get comfortable, get prepared to be turned a little bit. Um, in chapel this week, one of our students was preaching at the university and she brought a great word and, and she said, and it really challenged me. She said, when was the last time you said no to something so that you could say yes to Jesus? And I'm filtering it through this message I'm writing. And so I filtered it through, when was the last time I said no to something comfortable so that I could say yes to something uncomfortable for Jesus? And I just came today to remind somebody the same way that the Holy Spirit convicted me and reminded me that I'm called to produce fruit. And producing, there's nothing comfortable about producing fruit. Ask the grape. <laughs> the only thing in Jesus' words that can stop us from bearing fruit, the only thing, the only three things that can come against us and stop us is worry, the love of money, and the pleasures of this life. So we just need to ask ourselves this week, okay? We like to give homework. We just need to begin to pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, in what area of my life is there something happening in me or in my parenting or in my marriage or in my business or in my career or in whatever that's stopping me from bearing fruit? Because if you're impregnating me, if you're doing something in my spirit that, that you want me to give birth to, in a future season, I don't want to stop this pregnancy. I want to do everything I can to cultivate in me what God is cultivating and preparing to do through me. Father, we thank you that you are a fruit producer. Forgive us if we've done things to stop the fruit from growing. Do a work in us, Holy Spirit. We each invite you to speak to us through your word, through trusted people. Help us bear fruit, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.